Hey everybody, welcome. Thanks for taking a few minutes to listen to me. I really appreciate it. No matter where you're going and what you're doing, um, I hope that I provide a little bit of quality uh, information to you guys today. Hey, it is the day after Thanksgiving and I hope so many of you got to celebrate with family and friends in a safe and sane manner and you've made it from point A to point B if you were out on the road. Hey, this week we are talking about the top seven questions that I have received and also that I have read about, not only on my channel and podcasts and stuff, but also on other forums as well. I've just kind of boiled some of them down and they may apply to you and they may not, but maybe you know somebody uh, who has this and wouldn't you be the landscape hero if you happen to call up your friend and say, hey, weren't you telling me about, and you had the answer. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Let's get this thing started, shall we? Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Hey, welcome back. Again, I hope everybody had a safe and sane Thanksgiving. And uh, now we turn to the chaos that is the Christmas season and the New Year's. I don't know how you guys spent your Thanksgiving, but I spent the first couple hours of it at the working end of a snowblower since we had uh, four inches of fresh snow and we had a couple of deliveries coming in uh, today. Uh, I had to get the driveway cleared because I found out that FedEx will not come up an unplowed driveway, which kind of makes sense in many ways. Boy, I tell you what, after I got done, it was a couple hours worth of work, both at the snowblower and uh, as the shovel. Uh, I did get my steps in, that's for sure. So these questions are kind of a compilation and focus on problems that I hear over and over again, not only here on the on the podcast and YouTube channel, but also on other forums as well, like Reddit. So in no particular order, let's get into them, shall we? Hey, question number one, I have seen this question dozens and dozens of times, is for walkways, driveways, and patios, which is better, concrete pavers or poured concrete? And should I hire it out or DIY it? Um, I would have to say that it depends. It depends, number one, on your skill set and your ability to learn and to tackle projects that you may or may never have done. Uh, when you look at it from uh, a driveway perspective, I would have to say you'll probably be happier, at least for a first-timer, in doing concrete poured. Uh, you can reinforce it with rebar or concrete wire mesh and end up with a, a good product. Driveways that are created from pavers, you really have to know what you're doing. You really have to dig a lot of subsurface soil out and build up a compacted base of a clean run gravel uh, before you put that down. And I'm talking like 12 inches deep minimum, uh, depending on where you live. As far as walkways and patios, it's a taste thing. If you are doing it yourself, I think there's more satisfaction in the paver angle then there is the concrete angle. And concrete finishing is an art. It is uh, one of those things that you have to do a lot of concrete and do it well to make it look uh, to the nines. You really, you really do. Pavers, obviously they're pre-made and everything surrounds the subsurface preparation that you've done. And it is kind of a 
it's kind of a cut and dried. You know what you're going to get even before you put it down because you can look at it on the palettes before you buy it. And that's the colors you're going to get. And it's, uh, it's putting them down and stacking them together and sanding them in between either with a polymeric sand or a regular sand. And depending on where you live, pavers need a little bit of prep as far as thinking about drainage. If you're using a, uh, a road base substrate, you know, down underneath that can hold water uh, a little more than a clean washed base, oftentimes in the colder climates you'll get a little bit of a heave and that'll throw, uh, throw those pavers up sometimes. So be aware of that. Me, personally, hey, next spring on the channel you'll be seeing concrete poured and concrete pavers being put in and i'll find out my own uh, opinion as far as the diy approach to it so i hope you join me then okay let's move on into question number two how do you know exactly how much water to give plants turf veggies trees etc i will say this the plants will answer that question for you you can always look at the tags and you can always research what the water needs are of various plants. However, what those tags do not tell you is the type of soil you are planting those plants in. You may have a upper Midwest sandy soil where you're going to have to bring in some organic matter and bulk it up a little bit. Or you may be in uh, the southeast or part of whatever the world where you have a heavy, heavy clay and you're gonna to have to thin it out with some organic matter. And then you have to know your soil intimately when it comes to how is the drainage. A clay soil is gonna hold water a lot longer than a sandy soil. So if you have a plant that says um, it requires a well-draining soil, you're gonna to have to dig that hole a lot bigger than average amend it up so that water doesn't just sit around those roots and even sometimes punch a few holes down underneath with a digging bar or whatever and fill it with a little bit of gravel, fine gravel, and then go ahead and do your planting. But your plants are going to tell you, you're not going to tell the plants what it's going to need. I have found hundreds and hundreds of plants over the years that have either come into my nursery for diagnosis or have been in customers' yards and they always look at me and go, you know, what happened to this? I know I gave it water and when I saw it wilting, I gave it more water and it still died. And oftentimes when a plant is drowning in its own, uh, its own water basin or in the soil below it, it will look like it's dried out sometimes. And the other thing is, you will find that plants that are planted a little too deep, a little too deep in that hole and allowed to settle out, then given water, even the right amounts of water, you end up with problems because of crown rot and stuff. So make sure your planting depth is also uh, spot on and that root ball is sitting up just a half or maybe even to an inch high. It looks like you didn't know what the hell you were doing, but actually you really knew what you were doing and it'll settle down level after everything is uh, shaked out by mother nature. So when it comes to watering in containers, do the second knuckle test. You can also use the second knuckle test even in the ground, even a freshly planted area. Just dig it down to the, your middle knuckle there. And if you find water and moisture within that little depth, you know that further down, provided that when you do 
deep and frequent watering, that uh, it's going to be wet further down and the plant is fine. When it comes to turf, the turf is also going to tell you. It's a plant just like anything else. And obviously, during the cooler seasons, it's going to need a lot less. It may even go dormant depending on the type of lawn you have. And in the summertime, the spring, summer, deep summer, uh, then that's when you're going to have to pour the water to it. Oftentimes, it's at least an inch of water per week. And how do you know that you're getting an inch of water on your lawn? Well, you, there's various measuring ways that you can see online, but for the most part, if you're watering three times a week, you're generally going to get an inch. If you're doing your zones anywhere around the eh, 10 minute mark, seven minute mark, something like that, you're throwing a lot of water out there for most automated type of irrigation systems. And for those people who do not have irrigation systems, then you're all up to mother nature. You're going to let the, the heavens open up. And I have found that back east this summer, the heavens open up on a regular freaking basis. But what if it doesn't? Then what do you do? Then you are either going to put in an automated system and, or you're going to be a hose dragger, one or the other. But you're going to have to get it watered, right? So that's how you approach water is you research and know the plant as much as you possibly can. Know the soil you're putting it in the ground, that you've amended it. You know the care that it's going to take and then let the plant tell you. Inspect. Inspect for the first uh, 60 to 90 days and make sure that the planting hole is still moist. All right, moving on to number three. Can DIYers build their own retaining walls and to what height is considered before permits need to be pulled. So retaining walls come in many forms. You can have wooden ones, you can have concrete poured, reinforced, rebarred retaining walls, and you can have stackable block type of retaining walls. I would say this, for the DIYer, the DIYer, the wooden or the stackable block is the retaining wall for that. If you get into poured concrete ones, then now you got plywood forms and you've got uh, retention straps going through the wall to keep it there for outward pressure when you do pour. You've got good reinforcing and bending of rebar and other stuff so that everything works correctly. And then you have the finishing and the vibration to make sure you don't have big open air holes and stuff along the form. So I think the pouring of a retaining wall is uh, left up to the pros. Wooden ones in the concrete blocks are much more DIY friendly. I built a couple of, I shouldn't say a couple, I'd say probably a dozen wooden ones back in the day. And I've also built several stackable block ones. The stackable block ones tend to be a little uh, labor intensive, especially that first course. You have to kind of dig it down a little bit. So that first course is at least three quarters buried. And then once that first course is really done, then you can bring it up and it becomes a lot faster pace as far as the installation. Now, as far as height goes, I would say an average, an average height that a homeowner can build without a permit is four feet or less. I think in most jurisdictions, certainly where I used to practice, it was four feet. And what's the application of retaining walls if you have a larger hillside? I saw this question not too long ago. What if you have a long hillside that you're trying to retain? Will a four foot wall do it? Well, it'll do it for a little ways, but you may have to do a multiple terracing of that hillside. And you just repeat the process that you did at the base of the hill 
and you just cut into the hillside horizontally, dig out a trench and build another one, and then go up further and build another one. And maybe you have uh, four walls, maybe you have two walls, depending on the size that you have. But uh, yes, wooden ones and the stackable block are definitely DIY friendly. The concrete ones, I would say you may want to have a concrete finisher. You might be able to form it up and everything, and they can come over and say, hey, good job. We'll be here on uh, Friday to pour it for you. But that finishing, you know, you that whole face of it there is very important finishing work. And maybe the, the pros should finish it for you. Also, when it comes to retaining walls, don't forget your drainage at the base. Uh, so important, especially if you live in a, in a wet area where you know that hillside that you're trying to retain, even if it's small, uh, is going to need drainage. And make sure that it's sloped and goes out to the end or ends. Okay, number four. How do I become less overwhelmed with a yard I do not know what to do with? Many times people get into a... Uh, analysis paralysis when it comes to redoing their landscape. I don't know how many countless pictures I have seen on Reddit where people go, help me please, I don't know what to do. If I could collect a $100 bill from every time I've seen that. And I feel for them, but I also feel like they're in a, they're in a real stuck position and they're looking for free help as well. And that's what, hey, that's what that forum is all about. And you will get every form and fashion of answer from people. There's a lot of smart asses on there. And there are some uh, talented professionals that answer occasionally. But basically, knowledge is power when it comes to a, a landscape project. The more you know and where to start can really remove that uh, paralysis that people get into. I'll tell you this, and this is a shameless plug, is if you go into my website, youryardcoach.com, you'll see the 15 step. And the 15 step basically is a uh, blanket approach, step by step on where to and how to uh, landscape a residential yard, plain and simple. The other thing, the other options are, if you are a DIYer, but maybe you don't have a creative bone in your body when it comes to that kind of stuff. You can always reach out to a landscape designer. You can reach out, hire them, tell them what you want, what your needs are, allow them to offer some suggestions based on what you're telling them. They may say, you know, you, you have a good idea, but your yard will not take that particular idea. It's something that you might want to go in this direction and that direction. And they should say why. And then let them draw it up for you, and then you can implement it. I, mean, I don't know how many times. I must have done that at least two dozen times where I gave them a master plan on which to work off of, and then they went ahead and did it on their own, saved some money. So as far as overwhelming reach out to family and friends. You don't have to necessarily take their suggestions, but listen to them and hear them out. When you get into a discussion, oftentimes that discussion itself will open up avenues of thought that you had not thought about. And know your wants, know your needs, know your budget, and all of that is covered in that 15-step thing. So in order to become unstuck and be able to move forward with something, yeah, you got to go down some steps. You got to reach out and get some help. And once you have help, it's also very, very important on launch day to have some extra hands around and don't do it all yourself unless you absolutely have to. Okay, so number five, I cannot afford the cost of a professional landscape contractor. What other options do I have? Landscape contractors, just like any other professionals, are running a business. 
they're running a business and because you get an estimate of $23,500 to redo your backyard does not mean they are ripping you off. Uh, if they are true professionals, they'll tell you why it costs and give you something of a breakdown on it so you know where your money is going. They're going to give you a schedule, a time frame, how many people are going to come to work. And you have to remember the business part of it behind the picks and shovels that are coming to put your new yard in. There is workers' comp insurance, business insurance, cost the running of vehicles and tools, uh, the acquisition of materials, all kinds of stuff. So it's not like they're walking away with $23,500. If they are lucky, the average margin of professional landscape, if they hit 25%, they're doing fantastic. But most of the time, it's always around 10 to 12, sometimes even less. So what are your options? Your options are to, like the previous question, you could have someone design something up for you and you implement it. You could have a landscape contractor consult with you for a fee and he could tell you or she could tell you where to start, how to go about it. You can YouTube the heck out of it if you really don't know what is what when it comes to landscaping. Uh, but professional contractors, if they're on their game, one of the best scales of professionalism is that people are going to call you back. And if they set an appointment, they're going to show up on time. And if they show up on time, they're going to have a professional manner about them. And they're going to be able to tell you what is possible. A ballpark estimate, I hate ballpark estimates. Don't ask for them because these people have to actually sit down after taking some measurements and other stuff to actually figure out what it's going to cost. If you acquire somebody to actually show up and you get an hour of their time or less, don't ask for a ballpark estimate because that number is going to stick in your head. It will stick in your head forever. And when they give you the actual estimate, you're going to go, uh, what happened to the, the 12,500? Why is it double that now? And they're going to tell you. So don't, don't ask. Don't ask for ballpark estimates. There's just no such thing. Now, if they want to stand there and you're asking for them to do X and they go, okay, I'll do X for $8,350. And they give you an estimate right then and there. You have to be a little skeptical of it. Uh, depending on what you're asking for, because either A, they know exactly what they're going to have to do and exactly how much materials they're going to have to use, uh, and maybe they have a very good judge because they've done a couple of those already. Like, for instance, water features. I was generally able to give people water feature estimates uh, just by looking at where they were going to put it, and I kind of knew how much it would cost. So I would say between, you know, $5,500 and $6,500. And they, oh, okay, well, uh, and I'd, I'd write the estimate for six even, and we'd get it in. Because I knew exactly the material costs. I knew the soils I was digging in. I knew the accessibility. Uh, I didn't have to take down fences or anything. So I knew exactly what's going to be needed. But for the DIYer, eh, just uh, get some professional help to come in and consult with you, and then you, you knock it out. But do me a favor, don't ever expect a professional to come out and give you all this verbose amount of knowledge and training and experience, and then you just uh, cut them free and you go do it after you've kind of ripped their life off and their profession off. Don't, don't be that person. Okay, number six. If you have gutters, is drainage really necessary? Yes, indeed. 
you know, gutters are a very, very good thing to shed water safely off of a dwelling and get it to ground level. It will also, it will very much depend on when that water does hit ground level, what slope do you have to control it and to avoid it pooling around your foundation or pooling in a place that is not necessary and unsafe. It's one thing to have a little corrugated pipe attached to your downspout and you run it six feet out, but that only gets the water out six feet. If your slope is weird and it's gonna flow back towards your house, then all the gutter systems, all the little extensions and whatever in the world are not gonna help you. Drainage is a very necessary thing. It's as necessary as windows and front doors when it comes to the safe protection of your dwelling. If you have rain all summer long and then you have uh, snow and melt in the wintertime and springtime, that water needs to be channeled away, hopefully many, many feet, if not totally off of the property and away from the dwelling altogether. It is a project that I will be doing next spring because my new home here in Maine does not have gutters. <laughs> Why they didn't put gutters on? I'm not really sure, but the mental acuity of the two previous owners tend to tell me that uh, there really wasn't a lot of thought put into stuff. And the nice thing about it, though, is whoever graded the property that I'm on did a pretty damn good job. Everything from the house flows away, but there's a couple of valleys and other stuff that dump water right at the foundation. And we're, I'm going to address that as soon as I possibly can. Just can't find any gutter people to call you back right now. And so I think I'm going to end up doing gutters myself. But right now, I've got six, eight inches of snow and a dripping roof line. I'm just not going to do it when it's 25 degrees. So yes, drainage is necessary, uh, whether it be no gutters and French drains at the, the drop zone. I would put gutters on there and then run drainage away underground if you can, and a minimum of 12 feet away from the foundation area. Also remember if you have uh, driveways that slope down into your garage, make sure you have channel drains. Uh, if you have slope, their water is just going to pool and gather. Consider sump pumps and basins and run your French drains and your underground drainage to those and pump that water off your property if you can. All right, last one. Is landscape fabric a scam and is it necessary? It's a big debate out there in the, the homeowner world. It really is. Landscape fabric, just like cars, just like businesses, there are good ones and there are not so good ones. Uh, the stuff that you get at some of the box stores is not a professional grade landscape fabric. It will do the job. But if it's me and I was doing it for you, I would double and triple some of that cheap crap. The kind I used to use is also a, a landscape fabric that was basically uh, an interwoven stabilization fabric, oftentimes used under uh, pavers and that kind of stuff is a geotextile fabric. Very tightly, tightly woven, had a fuzzy side that went down on the soil and a more of a smoother, uh, shinier, plasticky interwoven side facing the sky. And I didn't think it was a scam at all. I really didn't. The proper quality landscape and the application you're using it for is the most important part. That's that's the whole thing. You don't have to use landscape fabric for a lot of things, but 
hey, I was, I was looking online before I came and talked to you guys, and there was one job where someone did it themselves, uh, according to their post, and it turned out really neat. And I thought that uh, the use of stone and other stuff, uh, I think they probably use decomposed granite as their, their stone mulched cover. And it was kind of a Southwest theme. You know, they had some uh, sedums and some cactus and some mounding and some boulders. And I thought it turned out, it looked really good. It was very well done for a DIY job. It really was. But I have used it a lot. I have used it under stone mostly. I did not use it under mulch hardly ever. And there's some argument about how weeds are harder to pull. And I think people who say those types of things uh, probably have a very cheap form of weed barrier or a very old. Because I'll tell you what, even if you had the type of landscape fabric that I used, weeds weren't going to go through it. <laughs> they, just, they just were not. Weeds are like any other plant. They need that triangle of success. They're going to need water, light, and nutrients to germinate and grow. And if you take one of those pillars out, chances are you're not going to get them to, to grow. Now, what about on top of the fabric? Can weeds infiltrate the area that you've either mulched with stone or, you know, organic matter or whatever? Yep. But that's where a good quality fabric does not allow the weeds to penetrate downward either and get into the native soil. It sits there and does its little thing on top and you can very easily pull it out. That's been my experience. Other people have other experiences. But uh, do I think it's a scam? Not in the right application, I do not. I think it's a, a useful tool in the landscape world. Just make sure you get the good stuff. That's Plain and simple, you gotta get the good stuff. And if you get that gray, newspaper thin type of fabric, you're gonna end up with a wearing out of that fabric probably within about five years or so. So double and triple it. And if you're gonna spend that kind of money, why not go get the good stuff in the first place? So there you go, the top seven that I found, and I hope that uh, it answered some questions that maybe you've had, or maybe you know someone who does have. Hey, we're heading off into the holiday season. And I am going to invite you to check out the website as the gift giving thing. Uh, you can go on there for the ebook and for the course. And maybe you have someone that is planning a project for next year. Give them the, the value of education. And so they know exactly where to start and how to get some professional results doing it themselves. Any patronage that I get, I greatly appreciate. And it allow us to keep doing what we're doing here. So... Guys, happy holidays. As always, to your landscape success, I hope this was helpful. I'll catch you guys next week. Bye for now. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to this week's show, and we'll see you right here next week.